Welcome back to a second series of Leash Connects podcasts, where we meet more of the dedicated people who are there to support you and your community in the wonderful county of Leash. My guests today are Emma Ryan and Dr. Amy Moriarty. Emma is a senior occupational therapist working with Leash Community Adult Mental Health Services. Emma has been working in the mental health field for the last 10 years and is passionate about recovery and the role creativity can play in this journey. Emma's creative interests are in photography, crocheting and interior design. Amy is a clinical psychologist, also with Leash Community Adult Mental Health Services, also with a strong interest in creativity. Amy's creative interests are expressed in writing, usually poetry or the occasional newspaper article and longer form pieces. Guys, you're both very welcome. So today we're going to talk about creativity and how creativity can help us or benefit us in our lives. Like we're sitting in a recording studio, a music recording studio in Kilbegan called Rainwater Studio. This is where people come with their dreams in their hands, with their songs, with their musics, with the need that they have to express that some way. I'm interested to know, like, what is it about human beings that needs to express this need that we have. Is it a human thing to be creative, Amy? Yeah, I think so. We were speaking about this earlier and how, I guess, since the beginning of time, we reckon people have always had a drive to be creative. And if we look around us, you go back to ancient Greece, ancient Rome, look at all the buildings that we still seek out to look at. You know, they're not just purpose built. They're not just square shapes and functional buildings. They they have elaborate designs. They have elaborate friezes and columns and the list goes on. But I suppose I think since as long as people have been in existence, we've been creative and there's been an artistic sense because there's a drive, I think there's a drive to make things pretty, beautiful, aesthetically pleasing. But then there's, there's also other reasons for being creative that we've always needed to problem solve, perhaps. Yeah, I really like the phrase necessity is the mother of invention. Any invention throughout time has required an element of creativity. You know, Alexander Graham Bell, the inventor of the telephone, you know, that's a novel idea if you think about being able to talk to one person on the other side of the Atlantic. Creativity has been necessary for the survival of the human race and it requires an element of kind of flexible thinking um, taking an idea and maybe thinking about it and reorganizing it in a different way. So creativity is not just about arts and crafts then? In my opinion, no. I think because I really like the concept of creative living. There's a book that both Amy and I have kind of, we're we're kind of obsessed with really. It's called Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. And she talked about creative living and I suppose how creativity really underpins all human achievement really. And it's very much part of our everyday life. If we approach life creatively, we can enjoy life a little bit more or find it a little bit more meaningful. What about the people, though, that say, you know, so for example, like we're surrounded by guitars and musical instruments. You know, there's some people that will say, like, I'm just not musical or I'm just not artistic or I don't have a creative bone in my body. Is that possible? Is it just something that they haven't nurtured within themselves or developed within themselves? Yeah, I'd probably say that everybody has some way of being creative. I think, as you said, you know, this idea of arts and crafts, I think that can really create a barrier that you think creativity means I have to play an instrument or I have to paint a picture. And, you know, I can't play an instrument and I'm not a particularly good painter, but I consider myself creative. So I suppose it's finding your medium and finding what it is. And, you know, we were talking about this earlier, that this idea of having a passion, that that can be a little bit scary as well, that not everybody has a very obvious creative passion or a thing in life that makes them go, wow, this is amazing. And, 
you know, you have to kind of find that and you have to be curious. And so maybe if someone is saying to me, oh, I, I'm not a creative person, I wonder if maybe they already are doing things that are creative without realizing it, that maybe are not painting pictures or whatever. But creativity, as Emma said earlier, is like it's about problem solving as well as about thinking outside the box. So I think there are things that you can nurture and things that can be brought into everyday life. And I think most people have a way of accessing that if they can open up and be curious and curious about their environment and curious about how to solve problems, curious about everyday life and how to make that more interesting. And that doesn't have to be through arts and crafts or through the conventional ideas of creativity. And I suppose we've, as sort of OT in psychology, we've come together and done lots of groups and lots of things in our workplace that have really tried to foster creativity in people. But we've very much come away from the idea of art and try to get people thinking about any part of their lives where they can be creative, from how you present your dinner on the plate to how you might fix something in the house. And I'm sure Emma's loads of other thoughts on that. Yeah, but. well, I think creativity can really be seen as kind of a vehicle for self-expression. Like you can approach even the most mundane tasks in your everyday life in a creative way, such as self-care, you know, how you do your hair, how you do your makeup, you know, that can be really a way to express your personality and your being, as well as cooking. <laughs> um, it's something we have to do every day to survive. You can be very creative with a very empty cupboard. <laughs> creativity really involves an element of those motivation as well as doing and they work in a very symbiotic way you can't have one without the other so there has to be that sort of inner drive then to want to express or want to create or want to there has to be that inner drive and then as amy said that curiosity and that willing to explore i think creativity isn't really something that you arrive at it's a process it's ongoing and it's very much about the doing as opposed to the end product. I'm mindful of myself, like I'm a dad, I've got two boys that are still in primary school. A wee boy that's 10, a wee man that's 12. And I'm very mindful of, is there things I do or is there things I could be doing as a dad that maybe limits their creativity or restricts their creativity? Or is there things I could be doing to encourage it more? Well, I like the idea of focusing more on the encouragement and how could you encourage or foster creativity? And I think everyone does have some part of them that is a little bit creative, some drive, like humans have that drive. So if we're not doing that or if your child isn't doing that, it's like, well, OK, what can I do to encourage it? Or can we understand what might be blocking it? Maybe less so children, I think. But fear is often the thing that blocks, I think, creativity. You know, what we say to ourselves, how we speak to ourselves and the inner critic, which I think forms from very early on if a child or an adult is telling themselves I can't do it or I'm not able or I'm not good enough or my picture isn't as good as the person behind me in school they're getting mentally a little blocked maybe so I, I really think when you're trying to encourage creativity in anybody it's something about trying to help ourselves overcome fear and it's not that the fear will go away so you know for example obviously we're all sitting here making a podcast and I think it's a little bit scary if you haven't done it before as a person who wants to be creative I think you're doing that all the time I think you're trying to say well yeah, I, I do feel nervous and I am anxious about that, but I'm going to do it anyway because it's interesting and it's exciting and it's something new. So can you foster that in your children? Can you get them to be excited and curious? And if they go, oh my God, I'm really scared, I'm going to get it wrong. It's like, that's okay if you get it wrong, but you know, you might enjoy the process. Like Emma said, it's about the doing and the experience of it. It's not about actually the picture on the page at the end. 
can we talk a little bit about that inner critic then? Like, is that a natural thing that we all have? Maybe as a psychologist, I'm definitely meeting people's inner critics every single day, several times a day. So I think I've never met anyone that doesn't have a critic. Is it a natural thing? I mean, I don't think babies have inner critics. I don't think they give it to themselves for crying and screaming and sleep depriving their parents. So I don't know if we're born with a critic, but I think in the world we live in, as we grow up from childhood up into adulthood, we are absorbing the messages that we're given around us that are, you know, we're absorbing what we hear. And that can be family, friends, school, the media. You know, we live in a society where there's a lot of pressure, even especially now, I think, to perform and to, even if you look at social media, to have this presence, to have this look, to be doing all these things, to be multitasking. So so from very early on, I think we're under pressure and it's very hard not to maybe develop a critical voice where we maybe try and put pressure on ourselves to be better, to be good. So I don't know, it's a complicated question. I don't know if we're born with a critic, but I think it develops very early and I think to different extents. So I suppose depending on the environment we grow up in, that critic may be louder or may be quieter. My internal voice might say to me, okay, you need to be better at that or you need to push yourself. And that might be helpful to some extent. But if I have a critic that also says, and you're never going to be good enough because I heard that message somewhere, I absorbed that from somewhere, then that might block me from even trying. One of the curiosities I have at the moment with my sons is I've noticed that the amount of drawings that they used to do has started to fade significantly, especially with my 12-year-old son, like significantly fade. I haven't asked him, like, what's the crack with the drawings, wee man? Like, used to have a wee drawn for me every every second day. I haven't, we haven't had that conversation. Actually, one of the most useful things I've ever done, I think, as a parent, was build a sandpit out the side of my garden. But yet he'll still go and he'll play with that. But yet the drawings have faded. I think it comes back to interests and everyone's creative journey is unique to them. If you asked me to draw, I'd be just like, oh, no. But if you asked me to maybe do something more craft based or to create something that's aesthetically pleasing, whether it be through flowers or through something that's visually appealing, I'm right on that. I suppose creativity is a very personal and unique journey to each person. And I think it is about fostering interests. I think it's about maybe being more curious about something thing rather than you don't have to have a love or a passion for it because the idea of loving something or being very passionate about something can be quite scary in itself and it can be a block. It's really just about kind of gently probing different aspects of creativity and it can really be all-encompassing and if you embrace the creative life it can really lead to a more satisfying and amplified life and can enhance self-esteem. Let's talk about that because you guys both work in the mental health field like what are the benefits to people that are engaged in creative living. Creativity has always been part of my profession. It's kind of actually where occupational therapy kind of originated a hundred years ago in the institutions around the country. But I think we've also wandered from that. And as a result of the pandemic, I think we've had a lot more time on our hands to kind of maybe be anxious. It's been a stressful time. So creativity and doing something that you're interested in has offered an escape. And I suppose there's a process, a kind of cycle psychological process known as flow. So that's where you lose concept of time. You become engaged in an activity and and lost in it. And as a result, it's something that enables you to kind of escape. But it's also something that if you're interested in something, you want to do more of and you can strive to do. That in turn leads to kind of motivation. Being in flow is kind of like play. I suppose it's enjoyment. It's kind of even going back to our childhood where we have maybe that inner critic essence there. It leads to kind of greater sense of well-being. What about for you, Amy? Like, what do you experience your client groups gaining from creative living? 
Gosh, there's so many thoughts in my head. I'm thinking of what you were saying about play and what you're saying about flow. And I suppose there's something in those concepts that are about, I think, letting go. And I'm back to this idea of fear. I think that really goes throughout this idea of creativity is maybe letting go and overcoming fear. And I think with different clients, if people can overcome the fear of trying something new or the fear of not doing something well or the fear of, you know, not producing something, a masterpiece at the end, that that in itself is very rewarding because that's what we need to do in our everyday lives in relation to everything. I mean, as a psychologist, I'm interested in helping people maybe face and overcome different barriers and different obstacles, different difficult emotions. So if you can be afraid of something and do it anyway, and if you can be vulnerable within that, because if you think of it, when you do something that's creative, you're usually exposing yourself in some way that mightn't be in a public forum, but there's still a vulnerability in even exposing yourself to yourself. As you're talking here, like I'm very grateful that we're allowed to record these in a recording studio, but as a music recording studio, and um, we were sitting, I'm sure there's many as a person has come in, recorded a piece, and at some point they have to show it to the world. If they're not happy with that, if they don't think it's good enough, or they may think it's good enough, but maybe the world doesn't accept it. I can imagine that must be quite hard for a person then. Isn't there kind of two strands here? Being creative for your own amusement, your own interest, and as I said, like almost exposing yourself to yourself. Like you're putting yourself out there. Yeah, but sometimes you might be only putting yourself out there to yourself. As in, if I write a piece, I can choose to share it with the world or I can choose to keep it for myself. Now, both are creative. It's a creative process. Whether you decide to share it with the world, that's a personal decision and whether the world is going to like it or not that's another issue but I really think it's about being authentic like if you share something and it comes from an authentic place within you and you've shared your truth and your whatever the thing is I think that people get something from that so if you're talking about in the public forum, that's just a personal thing that I think is it's about being authentic. But uh, as we're talking about today as health professionals, I don't think a person has to be creative and then exhibit it to the whole world. Like the benefits of creativity are for you within yourself to learn to maybe overcome the perfectionist, overcome the critic, overcome the fear. And that's, I think, in terms of the people we're working with, that's probably what we're hoping for. If they want to put it out there to the world and tell their story or show their art, brilliant. But they don't have to do that. How do you quiet and down that inner critic then? Oh gosh, how do you? I think how do you turn the, the volume down? Yeah, and I, I like that you've said it like that because I don't think you'll ever silence it. And I think going back to our friend Elizabeth Gilbert, she talks a lot about making friends with the critic and the fear. And I think that's, it's nearly like getting to know it and going, oh, there you are again. This is here in some way. This can help me to an extent, but it also, I don't have to listen to it all the time. But I think you need to recognise it. So when you hear that voice that says, oh, you're doing a crap job or, oh, this is no good or why would anyone even care about what you have to say? Or, you know, these are some of the ones I know from writing. It's like, well, who cares about your story? But the thing is, I have to go, well, you know, hold on. That's all very well. Thanks a million, critic. But, you know, I'm going to get on with my business here. I don't have to listen to that critic. And I think a little bit of compassion is probably, if there's one tip, if you can be compassionate to yourself and come back to, I'm doing my best here. And if I have a story to tell or a picture to paint or a garden to plant, that's what I need to do. Can I be a little bit kind to myself in that process? And that critical voice, like you probably wouldn't speak to your friend like that. You probably wouldn't speak to anyone else you know like that. So maybe just be a little bit careful. Why am I speaking to myself like that? And does it really help me? I don't think a critic is really what helps get the job done. You know, it might give us a little bit of motivation, but if it's too harsh, it doesn't actually work. What are the different ways in which we can be more creative in our daily lives so that we can maybe allow that part of our nature to be expressed and nurtured? There's a passage from Elizabeth Gilbert's book I just want to read because I think it really encompasses the idea of creative living. It's just about approaching your daily activities in a more open and creative way. What she says is, I'm a writer, I'm a singer, I'm an actor, I'm a gardener, I'm a dancer, I'm an inventor, I'm a photographer, I'm a chef, I'm a designer, 
I am this and I am that and I am also this other thing too. I don't yet know exactly what I am, but I'm curious enough to find out. So what I take from that is that even singing in the car can be, you know, something fun to do. It's where you're kind of maybe losing yourself in an activity and kind of forgetting about your days or approaching things, I suppose, more mindfully. And what I mean by that is kind of trying to live in the moment and maybe notice things around you, notice your surroundings rather than doing things on autopilot, which we so often do. How many times have we ate our dinner and not even tasted it? We've just kind of gulped it up. I think nature can be a real inspiration to us all because I think we've all become maybe a bit more connected with nature over the last year and a half as well. And nature is often kind of an inspiration for creativity because a lot of ornamentation in life is centred around nature. You know, the colours that we bring into our homes, maybe the fresh flowers, different things like that. So I think it is just about kind of approaching things in a more mindful way and approaching your everyday activities in that way and maybe just being open and more flexible in your thinking around these things and that then enables more problem solving. You know, if something maybe breaks around the house, it can be a crisis or you can maybe think of an inventive way to fix it, such as maybe using a safety pin to fix a zipper. You can really just bring it into kind of every facet of your daily life. Is there little things we can do, Amy, to inspire creativity or to trigger it? Just when you mentioned nature there, Emma, I know myself, if I'm anywhere near the seaside, like I grew up beside the sea, so if I'm anywhere near the seaside, just... Like my brain goes off like a like a sparkler to Halloween time. Yeah, well, you've answered your question. Yeah, <laughs> like, but that's just for yeah. me, though, you know. Yeah, yeah, I suppose there's a huge amount of studies even coming out at the moment around the benefits of blue and green spaces. So if we can, preferably, if we are going out for a walk, if we can get to a blue or green space, it's a hugely more beneficial for our mental health than, say, walking on the side of the road. Similarly, from Japan, you've got the whole concept of forest bathing, which is kind of sitting in a forest and listening to nature and noticing the green around you. I use nature a huge amount in my work. I try to meet people out and about in the community as best I can as opposed to in a clinical setting. And I can certainly notice people are a lot more relaxed. That idea that what does spark you? So it might be the sea for you and it might be the forest for somebody else. But I think looking to nature, as Emma's mentioned that already, but, you know, it's probably finding what is the thing out there that does spark you. I definitely think so. If you're looking to nature, it's like people often get either very excited about the mountains or the sea. So I think that's a good start. Something very simple. Maybe looking at other people's creative endeavours, going to art galleries or going to the theatre, maybe reading a book if writing is something that you're interested in. And I think that brings us on to kind of the concept of originality versus authenticity. Often there's a huge fear around kind of maybe producing something and then there's maybe that inner critic or that thought going oh well somebody's done this before like but the reality is that they probably have but it hasn't been you that's done it you have your own unique viewpoint and that's where I suppose it's maybe more worthy endeavour to pursue authenticity as opposed to originality. So if it comes from yourself your own sort of taking something Mm -hmm. And your own kind of story, viewpoint, life experiences. I think that forms and shapes whatever it is that you're trying to create, whether it be a piece of pottery, a painting, a poem. It's a really personal and unique thing to each individual. 
Is it ever too late, I mean, to become creative or to it's live creative? It's never too late. Definitely not. I, I struggle with the concept of too late to do anything because, you know, I, I plan to go back to university if I'm still alive in my 70s. That's what I plan to do because I don't think it's ever too late to do anything. The thing is, the healthiest people you know, if you know any very healthy, open-minded, interesting people in their 80s and 90s, they're probably still engaged with the world. I think that's the thing. And I think that's very protective against ageing and our mental health as well is, you know, staying interested and staying curious. Well, what is creative? Creativity. I think it's about being curious about the world and being interested and not getting afraid or, well, we all get afraid, but not letting it stop you. The thing is, is in the amount of time and the amount of people I often see who say I'm too old and it's too late. It's such a hard one because we spend so much time saying it's too late that you'd, you'd have it done by the time, <laughs> by the time you've gotten to the end of that process. You know, you could spend 10 years saying it's too late, but well, if you'd done 10 years ago, then you would have had 10 years of work done, you know, or 10 years of whatever the thing is, it mightn't be work. But so it doesn't really make any sense to me to say it's too late. Like, what does that even mean? Like, what would make it too late? Is it too late because you think you're not good enough? But sure, we always face that. You know, that's probably a worry that can happen any age. Or is it too late because you think, well, I could be dead anyway next year? Well, then, gosh, all the more reason to do it so. So I don't see what the too late argument, I don't really see what that does for us. So I think we need to just, if you're interested, go for it. And if you're worried about what other people think, I mean, maybe that's the one. I think that's the one I see a lot because people say, oh, well, imagine I was to, like that sit in the front of University Hall and I was in my, you know, 70s. What would they think? I mean who cares? I think that's part of it is letting go of what other people think and letting go of what society says you are, you're not meant to do and just go for it. Because at the end of the day, you're the one that has to be with your own thoughts and be with yourself. So why would it matter what anybody else thinks? Because they're probably not thinking about you at night time. Is it fair to say that fear runs parallel to creativity? Yeah, I mean, I know we've mentioned it already. I think there's something about letting go. So when you're afraid, how do we work with that? Well, we can't get rid of the fear. We might make friends with it and acknowledge it and notice it. But I think we also have to let go and accept that, maybe even ask ourselves, what is the worst that can happen? Like, what is the worst that can happen if I sit down to write and I write a crappy poem? Well, okay, I've written a crappy poem. Maybe I had a laugh doing it, but it doesn't really matter. What's the worst that can happen if I sit down and try to draw a picture and I can't draw? Nothing bad can happen. I think we need to let go of the expectation and just just try and enjoy the process because nothing bad is going to come out of it. Well, I think we can also learn from our mistakes as well. I think that's a really important point. We probably learn more from our mistakes than our successes in life. I work with people in a very goal-directed manner, but I would always say the goal is, you know, where we want to get, but the plan is the more important bit. And we often have to rejig the plan and do it again and again to actually achieve the goal. But what we learn on that process is far more powerful than actually the end point. Can I ask guys, is there a difference between men and women or male and female when it comes to being creative? Like is one gender more creative than the other? So I don't think there's a difference. You know, as we said earlier, like humans are are driven to be creative. I imagine I don't have research to hand. I imagine there might be sort of patterns of what creative tasks one gender might choose. You know, we may see in certain areas that there might be more females engaging in certain types of creativity, more males, but I, I I don't know if that's even true. I think society might encourage, typically we've seen more men in, you know, maths and science subjects and IT. Is that because men are better with numbers? I'm not necessarily sure that's true either. I think that we live in a society that might encourage men to pursue certain things and women to pursue other things. You know, women are good at being caring and, you know, mothering, so maybe we're encouraged towards helping professions. I, I think those 
ideas are still, maybe to a lesser extent, but they're still out there in society. So I imagine society might shape expectations around creativity and what we choose. Uh, knitting got very trendy there, I think, about in the last kind of 10 years. But I would guess if I went into a knitting group, it would be a heavily female dominated group. Is that because men can't knit? I wouldn't say so. But have they received the message when they were younger that, you know, they should go off and knit something? Maybe not. So I think everyone can be creative. I think the only barriers might be, again, what message we tell ourselves or what message we've gotten from society. And again, it comes back to that same idea of, can you just be curious? You know, can you pick up a pair of knitting needles, even if you're a guy, who cares? I think that brings on nicely maybe to the concept of environment and the importance of the environment and how it impacts on doing and maybe being creative. I suppose if you have a supportive environment where you're encouraged and nurtured, you're more likely to maybe pursue something, as Amy said, to pick up the knitting needles if you are a male, as opposed to maybe if you're from an environment where there's no encouragement or there's neglect, deprivation, maybe some abuse you're less likely to be able to kind of tap into kind of your creative potential or your inner child because you're not encouraged to maybe play or to do things that are enjoyable that are nurturing. So does that mean that creativity is an expression or it's similar to playfulness then? It's in the same type of category. Yeah, we might have mentioned, I don't know if we did earlier about self-expression, but I think that's in terms of the benefit of creativity and even why we do it. You know, a lot of it is about expressing ourselves. I think that's the, if I thought of well, what's the main idea or what's the main benefit it is to express ourselves. And, you know, again, as a therapist, that's probably the essence of what I'm trying to do with people, support them to express themselves. But, you know, that's often, again, as a therapist, that's often through words. But as we've talked about today, like creativity can come in many, many forms. So if you can express yourself, you know, if you're not able to access words, you're not able to put sometimes very painful feelings, it's even hard to put words on them or mightn't do them justice. Maybe you can actually put them on the page. Maybe you can play them in your music or maybe you can get them out there some way that isn't necessarily verbalizing. Or maybe you can put them in words, but words on a page, which sometimes kind of creates a bit of a distance as well. It'd be very hard to say certain things out loud that if we, there's something that is painful or challenging in our life that we mightn't be able to say that to somebody but we might be able to get it out and in that way I think I certainly think psychologically that relieves us something is kept inside us that is causing us some sort of pain or, or causing us problems that I think there's just a need to get it out of us I wonder if that's maybe one of the reasons why people are driven to be creative because it allows us to sort of take something that can be all messy and tangled up in our brain and maybe give it a shape and put it on a page or put it in a, an elaborate cake it doesn't really matter but it's something about getting it out of ourselves I think and it can yeah. enable us to make sense of something. Do you have to be thinking about the pain or the story while you're doing something creative so that you're getting it out that way? It's a good point. I mean, I think you could be, but I don't think you have to be. So if you're feeling overwhelmed or stressed or anxious or angry or sad, you don't always even know. Like I've had many people say to me, I don't know what I'm sad about or angry about. I just feel it. So I think when we're feeling things, if we can even release a feeling in what we're doing, that in itself is meaningful. That gets it out. Do I have to understand, like if I find myself drawing a picture or and I'm using the picture examples, maybe it's so beyond that. But if I find myself writing a poem or throwing red paint at a page, do I need to understand what that says or exactly why I'm doing it? No, I don't think so. But it might give me relief, I suppose, to trust the thing that's coming out you know, to allow whatever it is that's in me to come out. And do I need to know exactly why it is or what it means? No. After the fact, might I be able to make sense of it? As Emma said, it might give you deeper understanding, but it can also just give you relief because you've gotten it out. 
and a release. We can often hold a lot of stress and pent up emotions and feelings in our body. And if we can express them in some way and we don't need to know why, it can be a relief and a release. When I say that word, as humans, we're naturally driven to want to know why. But sometimes it's okay to not know why. And I think it's about accepting that and maybe thinking of it as more of a process than a why end point. (laughs) You just mentioned earlier, Emma, about environment. What more can we do within our lives to use our environment or develop our environment to trigger or inspire us to be more creative around our house, around our kitchen, around our garden, around our bathroom, around our bedroom, around our living room? It's about environment but I think routine is also really important and time so it's maybe about planning things it's about allocating time because I think sometimes we can be so caught up in our lives and we can be so busy and then we can say oh no I I just don't have time to do that but actually the reality probably is you do have time because how much time do we all spend on social media and, and Instagram and could we maybe devote that time in a different way so I think the first thing in terms of environment is about time and planning. Planning in terms of using a schedule or a planner and then when you've kind of found the time that you need it's maybe about setting a small goal or maybe just setting I want to spend time doing this and it could be maybe creating initially maybe a more inspiring or pleasurable environment because the environment can very much be seen or our homes or our gardens as an extension of ourselves it can be a part that can enable us to express ourselves how we decorate our homes or decorate our gardens or decorate ourselves or fashion and different things so I think it's very personal I don't think there's a tip or a guide to creating the perfect environment because what I like is very different to what Amy likes. But you're saying structure, schedule it is, is, really is a way to encourage it. Or time to is really kind of what most people identify as the greatest barrier towards engaging in our interests and our creative pursuits. If we can break down that barrier and allocate some time, so I'm going to spend an hour today doing some creative writing. And actually to give yourself permission to do that. And that's where I think compassion comes in. Because often we think we should be doing something else. I like to think of this person on my shoulder going, oh, Emma, you should be doing something else now, not watching television. You know, so maybe just actually being disciplined in your time. I think perfectionism as well. It's sort of the opposite idea of quantity over quality. I think it's probably a different to many other areas of our life where we're trying to do things maybe right or it's about quality. Where I sometimes think of being creative, if we can just let go and allow ourselves to sort of go for it. If you allocate an amount of time to something, then you've given it, okay, for even if it's 20 minutes, I'm going to do whatever the thing is. But I think what's interesting during COVID, we've all had so much more time. And if you still can't do it, then okay, then it's not really time because it rarely is. I think that's something we tell ourselves. Then we're up against all of our mental barriers and then we're probably back with the perfectionist and the critic and whoever's sitting on our shoulders telling us you can't do it. If we can mentally give ourselves permission to do whatever it is, without any pressure for it to be good, without any pressure to show anybody, without just letting go of expectation. I think that's probably the biggest tip, bringing in the compassion so that you can just sit down and whatever it is, even if it's trying to plant a flower bed and you've never done in your life. My COVID flower bed, because I think we all have one, was total chaos. It made no sense. The flowers did not match. Some were big, some were small. But, you know, I had great fun doing it and I learned a lot, you know. And I think that's the thing is it's embracing the fun and the play and not worrying about what the neighbours think because, you know, who cares about the neighbours? Guys, thank you so much for coming in to chat today. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and I look forward to your next podcast. Until then, Slán Gofoyle.